today on Pop Talk. Today we are talking about one of the most urgent and important health topics of our times, and that's that black women are three to four times as likely to die of pregnancy-related causes as white women. Pop Talk is a fact and science-based podcast dealing with important health topics. Our focus is to educate, entertain, and inform you on a variety of health issues. And now your host, Dr. Shane Fernando, Dr. Amy Raines Melenkoff, Prachi Thopper, and Sukanya Roy. Welcome to Pop Talk. Today we have an important topic for you in honor of Black Maternal Health Week, centering our voices. I'm your host, Dr. Shane Fernando, joined by my amazing co-host, Dr. Amy Raines Melenkoff, who will be guiding our episode today. Our student hosts, Prachi and Sakanya, are also on the line. Good morning. It's good to be with you all today. Today we are talking about one of the most urgent and important health topics of our times, and that's that black women are three to four times as likely to die of pregnancy-related causes as white women. This striking and shameful disparity exists even when health insurance status, education, chronic diseases are taken into account, and that's suggests that there's something dangerous about being black, pregnant, and giving birth in the context of the United States. That something is racism. Today, we're going to talk about maternal mortality in the black community in honor of the third annual National Black Maternal Health Week campaign. This was founded and led by the Black Mamas Matter Alliance, and it is a week of awareness, activism, and community building intended to deepen the national conversation about black maternal health in the U.S., amplify community-driven policy research and care solutions, center the voices of black mamas, women, families, and stakeholders, and provide a national plan platform for black-led entities and efforts on maternal health, birth, and reproductive justice, and enhance community organizing on black maternal health. The month of April is recognized in the U.S. as a National Minority Health Month, a month-long initiative to advance health equity across the country on behalf of all racial and ethnic minorities. As a reminder, once again, due to social isolation and prevention measures, this episode of Pop Talk will be recorded remotely. I apologize for the audio quality and potential audio glitches, but in these very trying times, we must do what we can to protect one another. I'm happy to introduce our guests for this episode, Misty Wilder, Director of Healthy Start, Brianna Henderson, Founder of Let's Talk PPCM, Jen Sardui, President of Rebirth Equity Alliance, and our guests, medical students, Prakti Tapar and Sukanya Roy. So let's get started with introducing ourselves. Misty, would you start? Hello, everybody, and thanks for having me on. I'm Misty Wilder with UNT Health Science Center Healthy Start Program. I am currently the director of the program. Healthy Start is a federally funded home visitation program under the Maternal and Child Health Bureau. And our goal is to reduce infant and maternal mortality here in Tarrant County. Thank you. And Jen, let's hear from you. Hi, my name is Jen Sardui. I'm the president and co-founder of Rebirth Equity Alliance. We're a nonprofit that um, work to build bridges in communities with low quality of care. Um, we do that through programming that um, challenges stigma and um, skills workshops and mental health programming. Um, yeah, we were founded in 2018 and we're still going strong today. Great. And Brianna Henderson. Um, hello, yes, I'm Brianna, uh, founder of Let's Talk BBCM. Well, that was founded in 2019 of last year. And um, we're basically focusing on eradicating peripartum cardiomyopathy, um, 
that's been kind of silently sneaking up on pregnant women and uh, it tends to go undiagnosed. So um, with that being said, we want to make sure that, you know, uh, majority of women are protected from that. They do, uh, in research, is saying that uh, African-American women are, are at more um, risk for it. So um, we don't know exactly why that is yet. So we're trying to get as much research and everything as we can as possible. Well, thank you. And so how we're going to flow right now is we're going to have a conversation about maternal health and our student host will ask some questions as well. And um, feel free to ask each other questions as, as we move forward. The first thing I want to learn about is in what ways is your organization addressing maternal health and maternal mortality? Jen, let's start with you. Hey, yeah. So um, we try to um, impact systems at the highest level we can and also um, work with community in order to create change. So we employ a few different programs that address um, maternal infant mortality. Um, we do implicit bias training for providers. Uh, a lot of the research that comes out about maternal mortality makes very clear that racism um, and implicit bias amongst providers uh, sways treatment decisions. And so we developed um, implicit bias training specifically for uh, maternal and infant health providers um, that we provide throughout the country and specifically in Texas with community groups um, on a donation basis so that that uh, training is as accessible as possible. Um, we want our providers to be held accountable for their bias. And if there's uh, not any impetus to um, address that, then you know we can't expect change. And so additionally, uh, we work with parents and communities to um, do, do programming that they request. So things like our mobile mental health clinic, um, which is a rotating location clinic um, that we do quarterly where people can come to have a free a music therapy session for their kids or um, uh, individual or group session for themselves. And we do those um, in communities with the lowest quality of care. And we just had one last Saturday that last Saturday that was switched to virtual. Um, so people were able to access virtual um, mental health sessions. Uh, and that was something that community members asked for and said that that would improve, improve their quality of life. Um, and so that was something that was created from that. We also have a parenting series um, that's called Thrive, which is Parenting Beyond Survival Mode, um, where we do skills workshops. Uh, we had one that was how to use music therapy transformationally in your home so that parents who have um, barriers to access can still utilize uh, these transformational measures. And the next one is a virtual barbering workshop for parents who are having to, um, you know, suddenly become stylists overnight. We're having all of uh, kids doing school on video. I'm almost done, I'm sorry. Um, we're having kids doing school on video now. And um, one thing that impacts a kid's education is um, visible, uh, you know, signals that um, they're not, you know, as groomed or in there, it perpetuates stigma. And we want parents to have the skills that they want 
um, and the skills that they need to to thrive. And so we do those also on a basis of people asking us for them. So yeah, we approach it from many angles. Um, I'm really impressed about how responsive to the community your programs and initiatives are. It's really what they're asking for and needing. Yeah, we try really hard to keep our work very emergent and um, responsive. Instead of planning ahead and making decisions for people, we wait to hear um, what our community wants and we listen and then we plan um, after we've listened. So I'm wondering from our medical students, uh, Jen had mentioned the importance of implicit bias um, education and training and preparing providers uh, with that education. So I wonder if you're having any thoughts about that, um, reflecting on your own education and your future? I know that during our first and second years of medical school, we definitely had some sort of online modules that we had to do that had to do with implicit bias, but, and we also had some discussions during our lectures once in a while, but I do think there are more creative ways um, that could make it stick better for us if they, changed the methods of teaching in the classroom a little better because right now what it's mostly doing is we're just kind of completing modules and discussing it and i don't know how much of that is really us just completing tasks or us truly understanding what is going on so i think definitely there could be some changes made to the way that it's taught to us in terms of how to recognize our own implicit bias we there is definitely um, it's definitely present in our training, but I think there could be better ways um, for it to be taught. Same. I think uh, we do it too much in the classroom. We don't apply it enough in the actual healthcare setting. So I think if they actually did some simulation exercises or actually did it in our rotations when we're actually learning to practice in our third and fourth years, that would be a much more effective way to dealing with implicit bias. Um, and seeing how that how to interact with other healthcare professionals. Um, so I think a better simulation exercise would be much better than the pure theory that we do in our first two years. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I've seen, I've had the pleasure of seeing Jen in action in her training and it is phenomenal and really transformative. Okay, so Brianna, uh, which I don't know about Brianna is that she's not only a founder of PPCM, let's talk, or let's talk PPCM, but she's also um, a rap, a rapper. <laughs> and so why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've done to raise awareness, uh, Brianna? Um, yeah, so when I um, first um, created Let's Talk PPCM, it was a blog. And I wanted to basically my story well just a glimpse of my story um i was diagnosed with ppcm uh, december of 2016 uh, the day after christmas and we what i learned that day was that um, my cardiologist was asking me a few questions about what he saw in my file about my oldest sister my oldest sister had died three years before I was diagnosed with PPCM and her cause of death was a, a natural cause of cardiac arrest. And that's what was in her file. And so when the cardiologist had saw it, he, you know, he had to kind of put some things together to see what, what, why was this 23 year old, cause I was 23 at the time and, and heart failure. And so he asked me, you know, if I had just had a baby, 
I was like, yes, you know, and he asked me, did my sister have a baby? And I said, yes. And, um, you know, he put two and two together and he came up with a diagnosis for her. And that's when he introduced peripartum cardiomyopathy to me and my family. And, you know, we never heard of it before. And I remember after that diagnosis, just trying to research and learn about it because I didn't understand why, you know, it had took my sister's life and then why all of a sudden the medication was, you know, had changed and a lot of the devices and everything changed within three years where it was able to save my life. And so uh, I got involved with trying to look up other women who had it because I didn't, I never heard of it before. And I didn't know any other uh, woman that was going through it to even know that it existed. So um, after not really finding a lot of articles about it, I mean, it was like some here and there. Uh, the, the hospital actually helped me uh, begin awareness. So they brought in the news stations and everything and uh, the news stations, they wanted to increase the awareness of it, you know, so they interviewed me, the cardiologist, you know, and uh, uh, about the condition and uh, recovery and stuff that's in it and that women can recover from it if it's caught on time. So um, I had started a blog and the blog, uh, what I do to this day is uh, we gain certain information of the PPCM patients or it could be a family member of the patient because some of the family members advocate for the patients, like if they're no longer here or you know if they're too ill to be able to advocate for themselves. They, we have families that like to try to spread the word as well. And we take the stories, we uh, share a picture of, you know, uh, any picture that they want to share of the patient and just provide enough information to where uh, the physicians that we do have on the page, the researchers, and um, many more people that's just around the world that's able to learn about the condition itself and how it affects uh, a diverse of women it's you know um, we say, they say it's more common in the african-american but with the stories we get like a good mixture of women and all of us really fall into that category of never heard of it before and it's almost too late uh, when we're diagnosed basically you know and so um, I wanted to be able to spread awareness and any type of form that I, I could think of that crossed my mind. People like music, people like videos, visual learning, people like reading. It's, you know, a lot of people is different and some people may not want to read the, you know, the blogs or some people may not want to watch, you know, so it's like you kind of got to um, do what you can to be able to bring audience in, in the different types of uh, fields that you can because, uh, even with myself, I like to watch videos or I like to listen to music, you know, and then I, in my young population, I try to see how can you get the young people um, to be able to also be interested in learning about it. Because, of course, the older, you know, people will want to listen to see what it is. And with the younger generation, we're actually getting more women that are like 16 through 18 that's getting the condition by sharing their stories there you know going back to that it was this 16 year old girl who went into heart failure because you know this condition and okay what they they said that it was rare so if it's rare you know well what are we going to do with the women that are that's getting it 
you know, and so with that being said, I just feel like it's very important to be able to spread awareness in any type of way to get it out, you know, so that's a little what I do. So that's what started the the wrap that actually yes. <laughs> was uh, presented at a conference uh, here on campus and really took off. <laughs> oh, wow. really very creative. <laughs> thank you, thank very you so much. <laughs> so let me ask um, everyone here about, um, and we'll start. I guess uh, hearing from you, Misty. How do you think the Black community understands the severity of maternal mortality? Because we've talked earlier that the, 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 the disparity is unbelievably striking and just you know unacceptable. We've got a three to four times greater chance of our Black mothers dying during this time period. Um, so, kind of everyone's idea of not just the Black community, but the community in general. Um, how, how do we feel that um, the severity of this this um, terrible disparity is understood? Misty? Um, I think that uh, first looking at it from the Black community perspective, I think that um, we understand that it exists, but I don't uh, really know if we understand the severity. I know that um, Sometimes um, the community, um, we talk about it and have talks about it, but I think that um, maybe they don't know what to do, where to go, where to start. I think that we have a lot of resources within the community and we need working in silos. If we could bring them together, I think that we can have a greater impact. But I do think that as the community as a whole, um, everybody does understand that there is a problem um, with a maternal mortality and there's something that needs to be done but i think since it's so multifaceted and so many things play a part in it i think that um sometimes it makes it difficult just to know where to begin and what to do and sometimes people are a little frustrated because we keep coming to the table we keep talking about these same issues uh surrounding the black community and that we need um, to create some kind of action plan. And that's why um, things like LinkUp, which um, Healthy Star started for black healthcare professionals. And that's what we're doing. We're really taking our time to see, okay, what can we do looking at it from a social determinants of health perspective of addressing maternal mortality in a black community from a black perspective. And so um, as we keep talking, there's a lot of uh, things uh, that come up about what a Black community needs, how a Black community can thrive so that we can uh, reduce maternal mortality. And I think that we, we know that there's work to be done. I think sometimes we don't understand that it's a marathon and not just a a hundred yard dash, like it's gonna take uh, doing some things that have happened over time um, and that uh, re-educating and reintroducing some concepts back into uh, the black community. You're listening to Pop Talk and today we are talking about black maternal health. So one of the things that um, has to be addressed or talked about when we're talking about maternal mortality and infant mortality is the role of structural and racial disparities in our current healthcare system. And I'm wondering, um, Jen, you've done a lot of work in this area. I'm wondering if we can kind of have a conversation uh, about these kinds of structural um, racism and uh, the causes these disparities. And also I'm interested in the medical students' perspective and, and how they see these playing out. Yeah. Um... 
one thing about like so systemic racism is is basically how our systems are built and um how racism is is woven into like our very founding documents so in order to like really understand how racism impacts people on a daily basis and impacts our overall health outcomes you really have to look at how racism is woven into our systems um and so yeah i do we do have a training that focuses in on that um it's just called systemic racism and perinatal health and it looks at um how medical experimentation um, on slaves built a lot of um, the treatments that we use today and how things like um, gerrymandering and redlining um, play out to uh, really create chronic poverty um, and things that like are affecting people you know greatly in their lives so and I'm super also interested to hear how um, the medical students here um, see this playing out and what they're doing. Well, for us, uh, when we kind of work in the clinics during our rotation periods, I know um, when I was doing my family medicine rotation, there was a large black population uh, that were that were our patients. And one of the common themes I noticed was just lack of transportation, lack of um, getting access to proper food and uh, things like that. And that really plays into you know, their environment of where they're living, and it kind of goes to those housing policies. Um, and so it's just really interesting because from a, a provider's perspective, we have to consider all of those factors when we're treating a patient to see, you know, for treating diabetes to make sure that they do have access to those healthy foods so they could actually, you know, kind of keep their sugar levels under control, um, being able to get to the doctor on time for their appointments. Um, so it was a really common theme that we saw. Which really brings up the whole issue of how their multifactorial um, healthcare is that it's not enough just to have access to healthcare, although it's crucially important, but it's all these social determinants of health that um, create a healthy, thriving community, or on you know, on the opposite, um, can really detract from a healthy community. I'm wondering also how maybe currently in the reason why we're doing this remotely is, of course, because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And um, if any of our guests have any um, insight on how, our, how the maternal health population is faring in these times. Well, I know I could speak for um, our Healthy Start clients. I mean, most of them that are pregnant are fearful and so um, not sure what's gonna happen, not sure what'll happen when they get to uh, the hospital that they'll be delivering at. Um, I know that I had a client to call me yesterday and just was crying uh, because she'll go into um, tomorrow to have a C-section and she just did not uh, know what was gonna happen. She just couldn't understand why her family couldn't uh, be with her and why she only had to choose one person, which made it very difficult for her in her decision process and just having to calm her down, um, fearful that um, 
Will she be protected? Will she uh, and her baby be okay and not uh, uh, contract COVID-19 as well? So uh, not only her, but we've seen this across our client population that are pregnant and close to delivering, wondering, you know, or will they deliver alone? Um, should they really trust that uh, the hospitals are sanitized enough? Should they uh, trust that everything, so even up until now, they've had good relationships uh, with their healthcare provider, but now are kind of skeptical about what's going to happen uh, in the delivery room. So we've been trying to uh, make sure that we prepare our staff, uh, I mean, not our staff, our clients mentally for the delivery and uh, making sure we're talking them through that. And so we usually create a plan for them to a birthing plan for them. So we've added to that. Now, who, who will be your person that can go with? What if they have a temperature? Uh, what will happen once they get to the hospital? And so we're also providing uh, mental health support for that. So if they need to talk to someone beyond um, our staff member or their case manager, we have uh, said that, hey, we have uh, mental health professionals that can help you to talk through this and uh, work, help you work through the anxiety. Very stressful times for women right now. What about uh, Brianna? Um, have you had similar kinds of comments from the women that you serve or reach out to? Yeah, we actually had uh, one of our PPCM uh, heart sisters had tested positive for the um, the uh, what is that COVID nineteen, and uh, she's been slowly updating us with things there. Uh, her and her whole family was quarantined, and with that being uh, a PPCM patient, we're also considered high risk. So um, with us getting it and how it affects the the respiratory um, the, a part of the body and the heart as well, which I've been hearing a lot of people has been developing uh, the respiratory uh, illnesses and uh, heart complications after not having no you know history of heart disease or whatever. And with that, it's a kind of confusion because our symptoms are mainly shortness of breath. Um, you know, we, we cough a lot and it's a dry cough it's basically the same symptoms that you would get you know uh, some women get fevers some don't uh, you know so it's it's a variety of, of symptoms that's mixing in here with the COVID-19 so you're not sure if you're just going through the normal of what we're nor used to going uh, going through as a PPCM patient and then also with the new women the women who will be diagnosed but don't know that they're going through it you know and if that, through a time like this you you thinking that okay well I'm going through COVID-19 symptoms and if you you know you get to the hospital you're not tested and well as you are tested you know for COVID-19 and you don't test positive then you know this is why we're trying to increase the awareness because okay well if she's in shortness of breath if she's coughing, she's having a fever or any other type of illnesses that, um, any other type of symptoms that uh, leads up to the illness, then, you know, maybe she needs to be uh, tested with the pro-BNP blood test, which is also um, testing women to see if they have any type of heart failure. Um, and also this is for the women who have, you know, either pregnant, still pregnant, or just had a baby. Sometimes women don't get diagnosed until a year after the baby, you know, uh, so it's, mm. it's um, 
it's it's a dreadful process, but we're we're trying to figure it out. Like I said, uh, dealing with the stories, we learn something each each story. Uh, we it all adds up to this the same diagnosis, but the way how we was diagnosed, the stories are all differently, you know. And so mm-hmm. with this we we had added a resource page on our um, website, let's talk ptcm.godaddysites.com. And uh, we're just really still trying to uh, learn how it's affecting pregnant women. But right now, we just want to make sure that the physicians themselves don't get it mixed up if a woman is experiencing PPCM signs and it looks like it could be COVID-19, but don't ignore her if she tests, you know, negative for COVID-19, but she's having these symptoms, you know. So, very challenging. So let me speak to the students here. So we have three black women that are leading these um, black-led entities focusing on maternal health. So the whole purpose of the Black Maternal Health Week and the the theme for this year is centering voices. So the importance of centering the black woman's voice in the conversations and initiatives and everything that we do to try to address this shameful disparity. So here's an opportunity to ask, uh, you know, as future providers, what would you like to ask our guests today? So I actually just wanted to ask, how can we um, be better advocates and allies when it comes to fighting for Black maternal health care? And what are some resources that we can use as future providers to help better educate everybody else around this? So um, that question you know, how can we be better allies is something that I really warn against at the end of uh, my implicit bias training. And I say because um, that has been like thoroughly covered um, in so many ways. And I would say a good start um, would be to just um, work on like the prioritizing doing your own work and looking for the Black woman who has already written about how um, to be a better ally. And that work is out there. That work's been done. And what really needs to happen is thought work. Um, we need, um, we need, you know, people that want to be allies or accomplices to really be doing their own thought work and um, doing their own research Um, and not using, you know, the Black women around them as their Google, because weathering is also, uh, you know, that chronic stress that comes with living in, um, within systemic racism, um, is also killing Black women. And so, you know, we have to be careful of the emotional labor that we're asking people for, um, in our communities, because that does have a cost. Uh, One thing that I do recommend is following Black women and Black activists that are in fields that you care about um, prominently on your social media and, you know, not saying anything, just listening. Um, That is very transformative. Um, And I also say to get in the habit of compensating people that you ask for labor. Uh, if you're asking a Black woman, like, what they can do or their their um, opinion on a certain topic, um, get in the habit of sending coffee money. And I say that not because, um, you know, anyone's asking you for money. It's because we remember the things that cost us something. 
And so it's important to remember that emotional labor is labor and to get in the habit of paying um, the women of color and the black women in your lives um, for the emotional labor that you're asking for. Thank you so much for that. That was very helpful. And I also would like to add to that, that um, speak up for black women, use your voice. Uh, because sometimes you're in the room or you are where uh, black women may not be and you see something, say something. Uh, don't just kind of um, be like a turn uh, that your head, but just uh, speak up and say something and advocate and use your voice in a way in, in spaces that black women may not be in. And you are in, so uh, getting in a habit of helping us to advocate um, as well, using your voice and using uh, your network and your sphere of influence to help uh, Black women. This is Pop Talk, and you are listening to Maternal Health Week. We're talking about Black maternal health. So I'd like to take a few minutes to talk about what resources or how our listeners and our audience can find resources uh, about your organization? Well, we're Healthy Start and we are, uh, as I said at the beginning, a home visitation program. So all of our work is done in the homes of our clients. And um, we use community health workers and social workers to do the work. And we want to reduce any barriers or any um, problems that help to reduce any problems that our clients may have, whether that's transportation, accessing healthcare, uh, getting connected with any social service, mental health uh, provider. We work through that to help them to move our families from uh, just surviving to thriving. And um, you can reach us at 817-735-2553. Rebirth Equity Alliance is online at uh, rebirthequity.org. We're also on Instagram at Rebirth Equity, uh, Facebook, Rebirth Equity, and Twitter the same. And um, we can you can email us hello at rebirthequity.org. Brianna, do you want to give your your website address again that you had mentioned earlier? Yes, it's let's talk ppcm.godaddysites.com. Uh, we also have Facebook. Instagram and Twitter uh, at Let's Talk PPCM. That should be the only thing that probably pops up when you type that in um, on all three of those social media um, sites. And uh, our email is Let's Talk PPCM at yahoo.com. Well, I'd like to thank all of y'all for being here today and sharing information about your organizations and what you're doing. Uh, in this fight for one of the most urgent and important things that we could ever do in our lifetime, which is to reduce the disparity in maternal death between black and white women. And um, to leave with our audience, I'd like you to take a, give us a few sentences and takeaway of what we should um, think about as we continue um, thinking about maternal health and maternal mortality and the disparities in this area. So let's start with you, Jen. So, so what is the takeaway for today? Um, I think the takeaway is that um, there are many areas that we are we need to work on as a community um, to get to a place where there's equity in birth, and that it's going to take um, all of us working together and all of our programming uh, to get there. Thank you. And Brianna, what about you? I agree with Jen on that, and. Uh, 
I don't think basically it, uh, things should get needs to get better, you know, with the the whole thing of with pregnancy and um, being connected with, you know, your your obstetrician, obviously, because that's who you're spending the majority of your time with as you're pregnant and that you, you know, after you have the baby, you know, um, most of the time it's always about just the baby and not really focused on the actual uh, mother who's carrying the child itself. Um, I know what people uh, talk about the doulas and the midwives and stuff, but most women or, um, well, I know like the African-American group some you know they talk about how costly it is for them to be able to try to just protect themselves um so a lot of women kind of um don't that they kind of disregard that you know information when you try to enhance it so uh, i think in the future we maybe should come up with how can we find ways around that to be able to uh get the obstetricians to maybe you know if they can have like probably 30 minute appointments or something, you know, like that, if that has to change in the future, just for them uh, to basically get to know their patient instead of, you know, okay, well, I have many patients, you know, to see, or, you know, instead of having that mindset, because when that mindset is rolling in the medical field, you know, I'm just want to get all these patients out so I can get home because they're normal too, you know, they're human. Uh, you know, if we can kind of uh, calm that down and actually get them to care a little more about you know, the pregnant women and what's going on and to, that every, you know, problem or issues is is being um, answered because like with the PPCM, when we get women that ask random questions to make sure that they don't have it, they bring it to their obstetrician and um, some of the obstetricians don't even know what they're talking about. They don't even know the condition it, at all. And so that's, that's a little scary because now, if I'm going through that that condition and my obstetrician don't even know about it, as in mine, my me or my sister's obstetrician didn't know what it was, you know, and at, unfortunately, my sister died from it, and you know, I was close to it, you know. So um, I think we should that should probably be more focused on in the future on how to connect more with the obstetricians and the pregnancy. Thank you. What about you, Misty? Um, I think uh, I agree with um, both Jen and Brianna, and also just knowing that um, Black mothers matter, and that um, listen to uh, Black mothers when they uh, have a complaint or when they are trying to explain something, please take the time to uh, listen to them as well, and um, just knowing that it takes all of us uh, not just some of us, it's not just for the Black community to uh, fix or to reduce, but it's for all of us working together. Well, it certainly is, and I'm uh, so thankful to have all of our guests today and our student host um, all contributing to this important conversation. Again, our, our panel today has dedicated their lives to addressing injustices and improving maternal health, and I'm thankful for the work that they do. So thank you for your time and um, I wish you well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of Pump Talk. Thanks to our guests, Ms. Henderson, Ms. Sardui, Ms. Wilder, and thanks, of course, to our hosts, Dr. Greens Malenkov, Prati Thapper, and Sakanya Roy. Until next time, thanks for being with us on this edition of Pop Talk.
Pop Talk is a production of the Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine and is produced at the UNT Health Science Center in Fort Worth. To learn more, please visit our website at unthsc.edu.